Good morning, Tri-Valley. Uh, if you are seeing this video, that means that I am worshiping from home and I wasn't able to be there in person, but I'm glad that I can still bring you this message as we begin our study of the last book of the Bible, which is called The Revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, I want to begin by giving you an overview of the whole book of Revelation, because kind of like those helpful maps in the mall that says, you are here. It's helpful to know where you're at. This, this week is going to be easy because we're at the very beginning. But just to give you an idea of what's coming next, I, I made this graphic, and I want to just give you a quick overview. Chapters 1 and 3 of Revelation's 22 chapters are John's vision of Jesus and his, mes his message that Jesus wants to send to the seven churches. This week we're going to focus on that encounter John had with Jesus, and then next week we'll talk more about the content of the message to the churches in Asia Minor. Then uh, chapters 4 through 5 are John's vision of God and the Lamb. This is actually really, really important in understanding the whole book of Revelation, so we'll spend some time in there, this centering image of Jesus being the Lamb on the throne. And then 6 through 20, uh, this is on the graphic, this is listed as another quarter of the chapter, but this is actually like 75% of the book, is John's visions of the judgment. It's the weird stuff that people tend to get over fixated on interpreting. This is where you get the, the dragon and the beast and the horns and the 666 and like, what does this mean? We're going to talk about all of that, um, but we're not going to spend 75% uh, of our time on it. And then the last two chapters of Revelation are John's vision of new creation. This is uh, this beautiful picture of the, the marriage, the reunion of heaven and earth. And as we'll see, Jesus tells John to write all of the things that he sees to the churches. But using words to describe something that is visceral and experiential, something that hits all five of your senses, is a really challenging thing to do. Maybe you've had the experience of someone trying to describe their dream to you. <laughs> they say things like, you know, it was our house, but it wasn't our house. And, and you were there, but you didn't look like you. But I still knew that it was you. Uh, sometimes it can be hard to follow because they're reliving an experience that made them feel something. It was, it was important to them, but you weren't there. So it's not quite as important to you. And you're trying to piece it together and you go, yeah, I kind of see what you're saying, but I'm also kind of lost. Well, in Revelation, we're going to see some of these dreamlike descriptions that John is trying to relay to the seven churches. He'll use phrases like, Jesus had eyes like fire. And his voice, it was like a trumpet. Can you imagine someone's voice like a trumpet? Or then he'll say his voice was like the sound of rushing water. John will tell us he tried to look at the face of Jesus, but it was so bright and brilliant that, that he had to fall away. And it was like trying to look into the sun. These are awesome descriptions. Um, but we have to understand that this is John doing the best he can, trying to relay an experience to people who didn't have the same experience that he had. And remember, last week we said John is also going to try to describe his experience using Old Testament images, stuff from the prophets, and just things that ancient Israel had experienced and that this first century audience would have been familiar with. Uh, and this will help, if we understand the references he's making, it'll help us understand what he's trying to say. So now I want you to hear the first chapter of Revelation. Uh, it's 21 verses, it's a little, little bit long, but stick with me and try to see if you can understand the experience that John is trying to communicate. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what soon must take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, 
who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is, who was, and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and who has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. We're already seeing that this letter kind of begins like one of Paul's letters, where he identifies himself, John, and then who, who's from, who the letter is to, and then I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus, who is the Savior. And then he kind of goes off on this doxology, this just praise, like he, is, he lives forever and ever. He's the risen one. He's the one who can save us from our sins by his blood. There's enthusiasm here. John is obviously a Christian with a Christian message for Christians. He goes on to say, look. He is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, I was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a son of man dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars. Coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance, and when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars, stars that you saw in my right hand and of the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Okay, that's what John experienced. Uh, we can kind of follow it, we can kind of get it, and we're kind of like, ooh, it's a little weird. What's going on here? Let's start with the who. The who is John. Now this might be the, the John, the beloved disciple from the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus' close, one of Jesus' closest friends, and the guy who wrote, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, the letters, but it's probably not, and we're not going to spend too much time on that, but that's okay. Uh, what we're told is that this is another John who is a faithful Christian, and he was exiled to this island of Patmos, and he says it was because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. 
So he's someone who became a follower of Jesus, and then the powers that be said, yeah, you know what, we're tired of hearing you talk about Jesus. You're, you're disrupting things. You're kind of a, a rabble rouser. So let's just send you off to an island. Boom. Problem solved. Goodbye, John. And while he's there, he has this vision where Jesus is calling him to be a witness. Let's talk about this word witness for a second. Witness is a person. Uh, a witness is also a testimony. Like, think about someone in court. We're going to bring in a witness, and they're going to give what they witnessed. Uh, the words witness and testimony have the same Greek root, and it's the Greek root word martus. Uh, everybody sound real smart? Like, you know Greek and say, martus. Martus. Good job. We're all Greek scholars. Martus is the, where we get the English word martyr. You might be more familiar with the word martyr, someone who suffers or even dies for the testimony that they have. They suffer for their witness. They are a witness who suffers for their witness. And what we see here is that we're reminded that Jesus was a martyr. Even verse 5 of this chapter that we just read, he's called the faithful witness. And it turns out John was also a martyr. He was cast away because of his testimony about Jesus, the faithful witness. And John is writing to Christians who are potential martyrs because of their faithful witness. So this is kind of a key thing that we see in chapter 1. Jesus, the faithful witness. John, a faithful witness. Written to faithful witnesses. And we are, as followers of Christ, we're witnesses of his resurrection as well. We'll talk about that more in just a little bit. But we also see that John draws on images from another prophet's witness, and that's the prophet Daniel. You remember last week when I talked about Ocean's Eleven? It's like all of a sudden I went into a monologue from the movie Ocean's Eleven. And I did that because I saw in our Revelation study something that reminded me of something I remembered from the movie. I took two unlike things, things that are not otherwise connected, and I said, you know, this is kind of like this in this connective way. Well, John does the same thing in Revelation 1. In apocalyptic style, he refers to another apocalypse. Remember the apocalyptic genre? And that is Daniel's description of God. Daniel calls God the Ancient of Days. In Daniel chapter 7, there's this vision of him sitting on a throne, judging these beasts who are arrogant and prideful, and they come up from the depths, and he throws them back down. And then the Ancient of Days in Daniel's vision is approached by a son of man, which just means someone who, who looks like a human being. And he's given authority and power along with God. I want you to listen to this section of Daniel 7 and see how many sim similarities you can spot between Daniel's vision in Daniel chapter 7 and John's vision in Revelation 1 that we just heard. Again, someone describing, describing a dream. You're going to have to go along with it and try to tap into the experience they're describing. As I looked... Thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, his hair on his head was like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words that the horn was speaking. Something he references earlier is this, this boastful horn. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. Any other beast had been stripped of their authority, but they were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of the heaven. Behold, he comes, riding on the clouds. And he approached the Ancient of Days, and was led into his presence. He was given authority, 
glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Isn't that interesting? How similar these are? Did you catch a lot of the, the connective tissues there? In Daniel chapter 7, I mean, it's written by an exile who is in exile. And in Revelation 1, we have John who is an exile, who is writing from a place of exile. Both uh, images have someone in white clothes with hair like wool. That's mentioned in both places. There are flames on the throne in Daniel's vision and flames from the eyes of Jesus in John's. In both, there's like a stream. One is a stream of fire coming from the throne of God. And then in John's vision, it's a stream of water. And in both cases, it's this, this person, this messianic figure is described as a son of man. And he is coming with the clouds. It's like Daniel has painted this blurry picture of God on high. And he's judging evil. And then this son of man comes into view, but it's still kind of fuzzy, but seems important somehow. Well, John takes this fuzzy vision and he sort of puts it into focus for us. And he says, you know who that is? That's Jesus. That's Jesus. The son of man in Daniel is the son of God who was crucified, who was risen, and who reigns now and forever. It's kind of cool. Helps us understand it a little bit better. But you might hear that and think, well, okay, so there's dreamlike image. All right. And uh, he seems to really love Daniel 7. Okay, so what? What is John trying to say in the opening of this letter. Well, let's go back to when someone tries to tell you about their dream. Even if it's a little weird or hard to follow, there's usually a main point of why they're excited to share it with you. It hit them in some main way. It could be like, oh, I just had to tell somebody because it was this amazing feeling. Maybe it was a dream about flying or something like that. Or maybe somebody said, it's just so real. It was, I was so sad in the dream. I woke up and I was literally weeping. Maybe they, they dreamed about a loved one dying or just some kind of tragedy that they experienced. Or maybe it was just like, I gotta tell you this dream, it was so weird, like, I, it's just bizarre. It's the strangest thing I've ever experienced. Well, I would say that the main point of John's vision, the first vision that he gives to these churches in Revelation 1, is the glorified Jesus saying, don't be afraid. Jesus appears to John in power. I mean, think about the descriptions. It's loud. It's bright. It's this brilliant force that John can like barely even get his eyes open to be able to look at. And when he sees Jesus, he falls down at his feet as the one who is dead. That's how he describes it. Just like, ah, I'm ruined. What do I do? People have tried to depict this description of Jesus in, in paintings and in, in drawings, in graphic depictions, and it just kind of comes out creepy. And I was going to put some pictures on the screen for you. <laughs> and show you but like it would just be distracting because it's so bad and it's so weird and I don't think that's what John is trying to get us to do is figure out like the, the weirdest thing you could see on the side of a van in Santa Cruz or something like that if you want to look for weird images about Revelation 1 just google Jesus Revelation 1 you won't have any trouble finding those but what I want you to notice is the strength of Jesus this isn't like the, the whitewashed Jesus uh, in the, the clean robes although he is wearing a white robe this isn't the shepherd Jesus with little children 
on his lap and the perfectly blow-dried hair and the, the warm smile, hey, come to me, I'm your buddy. It's not that that's not a true image of Jesus, but John's image is Jesus coming in power and strength. This is the Christ who doesn't mess around. This is the one who can break down walls, break down prison doors and rescue and redeem his people. And that's exactly what he says when he opens his mouth to speak. He basically says, hey, you know how everybody's scared of death? And this is this looming thing, that this problem that humanity has to face. Well, guess what? I went there. I conquered death. It wasn't really that hard. Yeah, I went there. I even got the keys to the dungeon. I know the way out, and I can show you the way out. Jesus comes to first century Christians who are small in number and living in a chaotic world. And he says to them, do not be afraid. Hold on to your testimony about me. Continue to be a faithful witness that the Son of God is risen and reigns forever and ever. And this is a good message for us 21st century Christians as well, who are often small in number and living in a chaotic world. It's interesting when you reflect on this passage. John was sent to the island of Patmos to shut him up. His, his testimony about Jesus was causing problems, so they sent him away. They tried to send him there to silence his witness. But what resulted was a letter, a vision that he had that turned into a letter that he sent to these seven churches, and then the world got a hold of it. And despite its reputation for being weird and strange and unclear and challenging, we are still reading it to this day. So isn't it interesting that what people tried to do to shut down the message of Jesus actually resulted in it going farther than it ever could have otherwise. Maybe you're in a situation where you feel like your witness has been silenced for whatever reason. Maybe you've lost some enthusiasm for it. Maybe you have doubts that creep in. Maybe you're just not supported in your faith the way that you used to be. Maybe you're in a situation where you're the only person in your family who believes. And whenever you say, hey, I want to share my, my love for Jesus. Or, hey, I'd like us to pray before we eat. Maybe you get, okay, boomered. They're like, yeah, 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 grandma and her faith. Maybe you just feel alone. Like the witness that you have of Jesus is not appreciated. It's not reciprocated. It's silenced in a way. Maybe you don't have a buddy for the buddy system. Remember the buddy system? When we go out swimming, make sure you have a buddy. Nobody can swim alone. Everybody's got to have a buddy to, to look out for. That's the way it should be in the church, too. And maybe you just haven't had a buddy for a while. Remember, through this passage, when you hear what happened with John, is that God works in surprising ways. And maybe, like John, your witness of the gospel will actually be the strongest when it seems like it's at its most vulnerable or at its most limited. Jesus is going to say more to John in chapters 2 and 3, but Jesus begins by telling John, write on the scroll what you see and send it to these seven churches. In other words, he, he tells them, I have a message I want you to witness. Again, Jesus, the faithful witness, tells John, a faithful witness, to send a message to the faithful witnesses of the seven churches. And I think that that's our call as Christians as well, to be a faithful witness to the resurrected Jesus. Maybe, again, not to paint those murals of Revelation 1 and the vision, same vision that John had. I heard the voice, saw the shimmering image, but still to tell people the truth of the gospel, that Jesus is not dead. If Jesus of Nazareth were just some crazy person or some liar, then when he was crucified, they would have taken his body and they would have hung it in the town square and said, hey, let's put a stop to these rumors that he's the son of God. He was just some moron and now he's done. That's the end of it. And we would not even know his name to this day if that's what had happened. 
But that's not what happened. A strange and unique thing happened. He was resurrected. He is resurrected. Jesus is alive. The testimony about him is true. He was raised not just from the grave back to, to the Sea of Galilee to walk and fish and hang around, but he was raised all the way up and seated at the highest place on the throne of the Ancient of Days. And Jesus loves us, and he is for us, and he has the power to save us. That's the gospel message, and that is our witness to witness. As I think about this message, the resurrection message, and our, our responsibility to witness this message, I think about Easter. Easter is only about a month away, and it's always this great open-door opportunity to witness the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm excited because this year, our neighbors, who've kind of been getting closer and closer, like post-pandemic, people have been coming out of their homes and starting to gather more for campfires and just outside hang times. Some of our neighbors said, you know what we should do? We have all these kids in our neighborhood. Let's do an Easter egg hunt the Saturday before Easter. And so there's this plan in the works that, you know, we're, we're getting to be a part of, but we didn't have to coordinate. They're just saying like, let's do egg hunt for the kids. And then we'll do a potluck lunch for the neighbors. And we'll just like hang out uh, on the grass and just chill until people are tired of hanging out together. I'm like, man, this is such a cool opportunity. Some of our neighbors are Christians and they know what Easter is all about. Some of them just know it's like eggs and chocolate bunnies. Cool. We'll get a basket for my kids. But it's this great opportunity for me and Lisa and our kids to come along and say, can we tell you about what Easter means? Uh, we have Indian neighbors, and there's all these holidays that are popping up, and we're like, we don't know what holy is. We don't know what this is. And they're happy to say, like, oh, well, let me tell you the story of this festival. People are open to hearing about people's traditions and faiths. And this is a great opportunity for us to say, yeah, there's eggs and yeah, there's there's hunts and, and getting together and all this. But here's why. It's about the resurrected Jesus. One plan that I have is to make little uh, uh, resurrection roll kits. This is something that we learned from Diane Richardson. She gave us this recipe for resurrection rolls and you make a little marshmallow, you wrap it up, oh Jesus was wrapped in the tomb, you put him in the oven, you cook it, the marshmallow melts and he disappears and you go, whoa, he's not there, amazing. So you tell the story of the resurrection to your kids through this fun baking project we're going to give kits to each of the families and say, hey, this is the story of Jesus in dough form, an activity you can do, but you'll hear the message. And not only are we going to say, hey, come to our Saturday potluck, we're going to say, well, honey, if your kids like egg hunts, our church is doing one after service tomorrow. Come to Easter Sunday, worship with us. Our music is great. It's a great opportunity to come hear the message. And then in the evening on Easter Sunday, we do something we always do, which is the resurrection party. We make a huge big deal about the resurrection because it's so important. This year, we have been invited to go to Royal Gymnastics, this awesome gymnastics gym that has trampolines and foam pits and climbing walls and things like that. Uh, it's a great thing to invite your neighbors who have kids to. Our kids are going to have a blast. And if you're 80-something years old and you're like, hmm, climbing wall, I don't think I could pull that one off, Jacob. That's fine, because there's also chairs, and you can just sit. There's going to be food. There's going to be fellowship. We all should come. This is a great open-door invitation. It's a great way to say to our neighbors, come and follow the risen Jesus with us. Hear about the hope we have in Christ. Join in with this celebration. It's important to me, and I want to witness it with you. Now we're going to sing the song, Days of Elijah. One more time, I'm really glad that Bill chose this song, and all of the songs for that matter. They're all so fitting with this theme. Uh, again, Revelation is it's a worship 
book. There's there's so many worship expressions that we get in some of the songs that we've sung. And maybe you never knew they came from Revelation. But now we're going to sing the song Days of Elijah. And this is a song that names several faithful witnesses to the work that the Lord wants to do in the lives of his people. Elijah, the prophet, declaring the word of the Lord. Moses, restoring righteousness. Ezekiel, another prophet who had this vision of dry bones in this valley. And they, they came to life and they, they flesh. It was kind of like this like weird thriller skeleton raising vision, <laughs> army of darkness. I, I don't know what it is, but it's this vision of, of dead things coming to life. It's this vision, this vision of uh, restoration and rebirth. That's what we're going to sing about. That's what this vision is about. And maybe you're feeling that in your life right now. If you need some restoration, if you need uh, a feeling of, of resurrection of your faith, then, then I want to invite you to let me know. Uh, you can send me a text message. You can come and talk to me, arrange for a time for us to maybe sit down and have coffee or chat over the phone. I would love to just listen to where you're at and try to encourage you as much as I can. Uh, I will definitely be in prayer for you. Maybe you, I can even help you find a buddy. If you, you lost your swim buddy, your, uh, your Christian buddy of faith, whatever the need is, uh, the invitation is there. Come and talk to me. I'd love to help in any way that I can. But let's hear the word of Jesus and let's not be afraid.